Stand up and say, I have a green light. Since I work with SWAT, you don't want to say that around a sniper very much because that means something different to some people. I'm very honored to be your guest today. I was excited about getting to come up and, and to be with you. Uh, my family sends you greetings. I, don't worry, just because I'm from south of that line there, I won't say anything about yesterday's uh, events. Uh, I, I'm not for either of those groups now. My daughter attends Troy University. And so I'm a, a Trojan fan right now. She's uh, on their volleyball team. She's four foot ten and plays college volleyball. So uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to look at Matthew 7, that's where we'll start today. This is kind of the disclaimer uh, before you start talking about families. Here's your test. And the rain descended, the flood came the winds blew and beat on that house now whose house is that is that the wise man's house or the fool's house well you and I both know that if you read that Matthew chapter 7 verse 25 and 27 say exactly the same thing and and the the rain rain descended descended and and the the floods floods came came and and beat beat on on that that house house both of those houses got exactly the same weather pattern. You cannot tell where the wise man lives or where the fool lives by the circumstances that hit their houses. And I'm afraid sometimes when we talk about Christian homes or we talk about Christian families or we do a family day that the first thing we think of is, I don't want anybody to know what really goes on at my house because we have some storms at my house. In fact, church, if you'll let me use that word, church is the only place that we come and, and don't tell the truth. If you go to the doctor's office, you want to convince everybody in that room you're the sickest guy there, right? You, when you're in the emergency room, I'm, I'm in more pain than you are. I need to be seen first. Uh, we, nobody goes to the doctor's office and say, well, I just came by. I feel great. I just thought I'd show up, let the doc check out the gun show. No, you, you go in there complaining about lumbago and rickets and mad cow disease and everything else. But we come here, and my marriage is fine, and my children are fine, and my attitude's fine. And Folks, you, you don't tell where a Christian home is because it's absent of storms. Christian homes have addicted dads. Addicted to substances and pornography, by the way. Christian homes have teenage sons who break curfew and smoke marijuana. Christian homes have spouses who participate sometimes in infidelity. Christian homes have daughters who have babies and who aren't married. You don't tell the Christian home from the things that happen, the rain, the winds, and the floods. You tell where the wise man lives and you tell where the foolish man lives because one house fell and one house didn't. That's what makes us different from the world. And so when we begin to talk about family systems and we talk about a family day, this is not a presentation that says, you come here and convince us how perfect you are. Folks, by definition, we're Christians because we recognize that we commit sin. And everybody who's ever lived to the point where they're old enough to choose right or wrong at some point has chosen wrong, according to Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23. 
And so when I admit that you will choose to do wrong, I admit that I have chosen to do wrong, and I admit that my children will choose to do wrong. And it's not what your children do that makes you a good parent or a bad parent, but what you do when your children choose to do that that makes you a good parent or a bad parent. And it's not what happens between me and my wife that makes us a, a good couple or not, but how we handle those things that happen between us. So as we begin to talk about families today, and we're going to talk this morning uh, simply about some attitudes that deal with families. At the Bible class hour, we're going to talk about some, some ways to meet needs and try to deal with selfishness and selflessness in the family system. But kind of as a disclaimer... We need to understand that just because you have problems doesn't disqualify you from being a Christian. In fact, if we would admit that we have problems and use this resource that is assembled with us this morning, we would be better off in our family systems. Now, I'm a licensed professional counselor. Christmas comes at my house every year. I'm so glad people will come to my office and visit me. But if you would talk to each other about what goes on in families, if you've got a teenage child and you'll find someone who has one of those at their house too and quit trying to pretend that yours is different or yours is odd, all teenagers are odd, okay? The National Association of Mental Health Conference, we got together in the open forum. Some guy asked the question, what is the exact difference between mental illness and adolescence? And nobody knew, okay? I mean, that's just it. So if you've got teenagers in your house, ask them, are they supposed to act this way? And yes, they're supposed to act that way. If you're married and you've been married less than seven years, find one of these older gentlemen who's had one, about 40, and say, listen, do they all act like that? She cries when she's happy. She cries when she's mad. Is that the way it's both? They'll tell you. Find one of these dear, dear sisters with the gray hair who's been leading one of us guys around for about 40 years and say, look, will he ever grow up? Is he just always going to be a boy? and just get more expensive stuff, and she'll go, yeah, and you've got to learn to put up with that. If you would just use this resource right here as a true family, if you would just simply say, this is going on with my spouse, this is going on with my children, what can I do? And quit pretending that we're perfect. Hey, there's storms at my house, there's rain at my house, there's winds at my house. What did you do to keep your house from falling when you had those things? Folks, that's when you'd become a family. And that's when your families would become stronger for being a part of this family. This morning, because there's so many of you and the ages are, are so different, to talk about one specific topic or one specific thing would leave somebody out. So I just thought I'd kind of do a generic paint with a broad paintbrush. And we're just basically going to run through some simple Christian attitudes. And all these attitudes are based in I statements. You know, as counselors, we always have to make everything an I statement. And so we're going to do some simple attitudes, going to kind of review them, and then, and then wrap up and be done. I'm going to try to do it before 9 o'clock. Now, I am a licensed professional counselor, and when left to my own devices, I work on a 50-minute clock. Okay, don't panic. That's not going to happen. And I, the reason I didn't stand behind there is there's often a trap door. So I'll just see what happens here. The first attitude that we need to be able to cover as a child as a husband, as a wife, as a mom or a dad, is simply be able to say the statement, I was wrong. So many times we will not accept fault for our own troubles. 
So many times when we begin to talk about what's not working in a system instead of actually taking acceptance for what we do or, or, or taking responsibility for what we've said, just the accountability factor of, hey, I had a part to play in this. And most of us have a difficulty doing it. You ever go home and tell your wife how rude that person was to you in the store? Listen, if you go home and you tell that you had a conflict at work and you make yourself the bad guy, you're not very smart, okay? Honey, I just behaved like a jerk today. No, you always go home and say, that guy was rude and he was selfish. But really, truth be told, a lot of the times when I have difficulty with coworkers or I have difficulty with neighbors or I have difficulty with my spouse or I get off on the wrong foot with my children, really, sometimes the problem is just understanding that I was wrong recognizing that I'm human, that I'm flawed, that I have faults. And when there is accountability, there is responsibility. And when I have accountability and responsibility, I can find a way to fix that. You show me somebody who postures minimization, denial, or blame, and they're not trying to fix the problem. They're trying to get out of trouble. And anytime you take ownership without minimization, denial, or blame, then you're going to fix the thing. So the first attitude we have to have is, is take a real good look at us and not take somebody's little bitty thing, the speck in their eye, and blow it out of proportion while we ignore the beam in our own eye and just simply be able to say, I was wrong. Now, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable and don't feel like you're being forced to do this. And if this is something I shouldn't do, they won't let me do it at part B. But I think it'd be healthy if we just practice that. So we'll count to three, and then everybody will say, I was wrong. Now, if you're uncomfortable doing that, please don't feel like I'm, I'm forcing you. But I think it would be therapeutic for you. So on three, we'll just all practice being able to say, I was wrong. Some of you will say it for the first time ever, and we'll see what happens. Ready? One, two, three. I was wrong. Now, see there, nobody passed out, nobody died or anything like that. Second thing that comes about is once we recognize that we're wrong... There's a place where we have to be able to, to regret being wrong. And we simply say, I'm sorry. Godly sorrow, that's, that's the true function of guilt. Godly sorrow works repentance that leads to salvation that's not to be regretted. If I really feel bad about the things that I've done wrong, I will make a change. Not I'm sorry I got caught not I'm sorry you discovered it. Not I'm sorry I've got to pay a penalty. But simply I'm sorry because the thing that I did violated your trust. The thing that I did violated my covenant with God. The thing that I did violated the, the core values of what I'm supposed to be. Christianity is not about what you do. Christianity is about what you are. If you ever forget what you are, then you can compromise what you do. I was a full-time youth and family minister. For a number of years, I, I started with my first church in the spring of 1980. As a youth minister, children like to come to your home. They like to come to your home when you're asleep. And they like to decorate your yard. I have a ninja suit. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm rather proud of my ninja suit. I have a GP100 Ruger 357 Magnum. I prefer to carry it in an inverted holster so that when you pull the thumb switch, it just kind of swings out, and I hand load my own blanks. I've got a motion detector on the side of my house. The motion detector on the side of my house does not have light bulbs. Pulled the bulbs out years ago, took an old extension cord, cut it out the end of it off, split it, plugged it into where those two light bulbs come out, brought it under the house up through the floor, and plugged it into a radio. 
If you violate my perimeter, my radio comes on under my bed. Rock and roll music means you're in the front yard. <laughs> Country music means you're in the backyard. And for years, it was my hobby simply to hunt teenagers. <laughs> they are easier to hunt than deer. Deer are smarter. And so <laughs> I lay there at night waiting for the thing to go off and slide into the ninja suit and pad out into the yard. Late, late one January night, my phone rang. It was little Marianne Harwell. Sweet, sweet young lady just crying. Lonzo, the boys left me in the graveyard. They're coming to roll your house. I said, honey, you just don't sweat it. You better be glad you're not here. I ninja up, went back to bed. Sure enough, about 1.30 in the morning, my radio beeped at me. And I got up and snuck outside, went out the back door, around the back fence behind Pat Bradford's house. I live in a cul-de-sac. Anybody with the brains God gave a goat wouldn't roll somebody's house in a dead-end street. There's no way to have a, an extraction plan. I snuck around behind Pat House and Charles McDonald, he was Bubba back then, Bubba McDonald. Bubba is a school resource officer in Hoover, Alabama, the youngest person to ever be on the Hoover SWAT team, and he did an internship with the federal marshals. Bubba is over there wrapping my uh, mailbox in toilet tissue. I padded up behind him in a groucho walk so that the barrel of my gun wouldn't bounce. And I backed the hammer on that pistol. Now, if you've ever been out after midnight on a frosty morning when everything is so still and heard the hammer of a magnum back, it sounds like the world is ending. That just click, click, click. Bubba turned around and saw that little slit in my mask, threw his paper in the air. His mouth said, it's Bubba, don't kill me. It's Bubba, don't kill me. But nothing came out. It was just... <laughs> I proned him out, took a cold gravel from the driveway and laid it against the back of his neck. I said, do you feel that pistol on your neck, son? He said, yes, sir, I do. I said, don't you move. And I padded off and went around the side. And there was Tony Allen and Kevin Hall. Kevin Hall's a computer programmer now in Huntsville. Married to a little school teacher. They have beautiful, beautiful children. Kevin was wrapping my deck in toilet tissue. And I just held that magnum in there and shot it twice. I loaned Kevin some sweatpants that night to drive home in. <laughs> Tony Allen is the guy that works with student services at Freed Hardman University. Tony was my first intern, and he helps run that ropes course that's over at the uh, Mid-South Youth Camp. Tony just pulled his hood over his head and tried to crawl under my house, and I got him out. Now, folks, I was in my early 20s when all this was going on. And let me tell you, now that I am mature <laughs> and know, know better, first of all, you shouldn't be running around in the dark with a pistol. Second of all, you shouldn't be running around in the dark with a pistol, whether it's loaded with blanks or empty or anything else. It's dangerous, reckless, and foolish. And under no circumstances for any reason should you ever have that pistol out and pull in the trigger when people are around. More people get killed with unloaded guns and blank guns than anybody else does. And everything I did that night with those boys was wrong. But I ain't been sorry yet, okay? Because <laughs> the little vandals were in my yard and I was going to have to clean it up the next day. And that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes we say and do things that are unchristian. We say, I shouldn't have said it, but I'm glad I did. Why? No, no, no. Once we recognize that we're wrong, regretting what we've done to the people we love, regretting what we've compromised with God, regretting everything means that we will try to fix the situation. So not only is it I was wrong, but second, it's I am sorry. One, two, three. I am sorry. 
The third one is, is, is probably more difficult than I'm wrong and I'm sorry, and it just boils down to let's do what's best for you. The idea that meekness is weakness is not true. Meekness is the idea that I'm going to take my power and I'm going to let you be in control of it. If you've ever ridden a big horse, we got to ride some horses in uh, an alpine valley when we were out in the, the Rockies several, several years ago. I had booked a little climb with Colorado Mountain School, and one of the days before or after the climb, my wife wanted to go horseback riding. So we got on these big horses, and they were neck-reined. These horses were trained that you just sit on them, and if you just move the rein to one side or move the rein to the other side, that horse would turn right or left. I don't know if you've ever actually put your hands on a horse and tried to turn his head when his head didn't want to turn. They're very powerful, powerful animals. And the only reason you get on a horse and can drive it is because the horse says, I will let you be in control. I'm going to let my strength be used at your service. Now, young people, this is the place that would make all your dynamics in your family change. If you ever learned how selfless your parents are, and how selfish we tend to be. You ever wonder why your parents dress odd like they dress? Why they don't have the trendy things that, that you do? Well, the reason your parents don't have that stuff is because you do. I got a, a Benelli Supernova shotgun for Christmas. The SWAT guys bought me one. I've got a Remington 1100 in my closet that my wife got me for an anniversary present. My dad's never shot a pump shotgun or an automatic shotgun until he shot mine. We were growing up, dad hunted with this big, long shotgun. It was a single shot. You had this little switch at the back, and it broke open. He wouldn't even throw the shells out. You had to pull those out. Like most shotguns, there's supposed to be a bead on the front. His didn't even have a bead. I thought that old gun was special because of the way it was built. Oh, I've seen him take that gun and shoot at a rabbit, unload it and load it, and shoot another rabbit in the same field. That's how fast he was with that gun. My biggest dream was to hunt with that shotgun because I thought it was magic. I thought there was some quality to it. But I got old enough to know broke it open, looked inside. It's stamped 1889. My dad had a single shot, 100-year-old shotgun. Because I had a bicycle and I had tennis shoes. I had a baseball glove. I had my own room. And I had the things I had because he gave up some things that he should have had. And young people will ever adopt the idea that I'm going to do what's best for you and not be selfish. Life changes very, very dramatically. Let's do what's best for you. One, two, three. Let's do what's best for you. The fourth one is let's do what's right regardless. Just plain and simple. Sometimes there's not your wishes or my wishes or your needs or my needs. Sometimes there's a simple question of what is right and what is wrong. And we must always choose in our families, if we're going to be Christian families, to have a standard that says we will participate in a norm which is Christ-like. 
We will choose what is right regardless. My favorite story about Socrates is that a young man comes to him and, and wants to learn wisdom. And Socrates takes him out to some body of water and just basically holds the young man under till he bubbles. Pulls him back up and walks out. The young man follows him to the shore, is about to hit him. And Socrates says, what did you want more than anything else? And he said, I wanted to breathe. He said, when you want wisdom as bad as you wanted air, you can be my disciple. When we want to do what's right more than we want to eat or drink or have or go or do or spend or get, when we want to do what's right over everything else, then our families will be stronger families and our characters will be stronger characters. Let's do what's right regardless. One, two, three. Let's do what's right regardless. The next set is, is basically when I'm not in trouble and somebody comes to me and says, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, then I get to say, I forgive you. And forgiveness is this real interesting little thing. It, it, it has a dynamic. Forgiving people does for them on a small scale what God has already done for us on a grand scale. Forgiveness is basically is where I give you what you need, not what you deserve. And by the way, forgiveness is the only way that you can really make your life balance, and it's the only way you can actually be in control of your own life. If David makes me mad and I say, I'm never going to be happy until he's as mad as I am, who's in control of my happiness? If David hurts me and I say, I'm never going to be happy till he's hurt as bad as I've hurt, he's in control of my happiness. And forgiveness is the way that I can write it off and make it even, and then it's no unfinished business and my book's balance. It's the only way to have peace in your life. It's the only way to regain control in your life. Because if I wait to be fulfilled based on how you react to what I do, I'll never be fulfilled and I'll never have any real control. And by the way, Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. And to the extent that we forgive others is to the extent that God forgives us. And so sometimes we have to learn when people trespass against us to simply say, I forgive you. One, two, three. I forgive you. The next one is, is I love you. But it's I love you, period. And the period should be about the size of a silver dollar and have three coats of black paint on it. That's not I love you if and I love you when or I love you because, but just simply I love you without a hidden agenda. And I'm afraid sometimes that we offer our love if you are successful or if you're this or if you're that. I'm afraid sometimes in the church we try to recruit members because the church needs them, not because they need church. I'm afraid sometimes we have a hidden agenda for why we treat people the way we treat them. And when Jesus talked about love, love was an attitude, not an emotion. And the attitude was, I'm going to choose to love you because you need the love of God in your life. It's an unconditional, non-agenda-driven, no ulterior motive kind of love. If you have a dog in your backyard, you know what I'm talking about. You come home and the dog acts like he's never seen you before. You're just, you've been gone to the moon and back because every day when you go out and greet that old dog, he's just happy to see you. He doesn't know what your degree is. He doesn't know how much money you made today. He doesn't know whether you did. All he knows is you're there and I love you because you're in the way. And it's that kind of, you know, I'm just happy to see you kind of. That's got to be in our homes. That when dad comes in or mom comes in, the kids come in. We love you because you're taking up space. 
and I love you regardless. Now, sometimes you're going to do some things and I'm going to have to pound you. You're going to do some things and I'm going to have to ground you. You're going to do some things and we're going to have to, to involve some discipline. And sometimes adults discipline each other by putting stress in the relationship so the result is growth. I'm not talking about physical discipline now. But sometimes we have to do that. But we do that because not, but I always love you. And I love you, period, is without any agenda. I, I'm a deer hunter. There's people that live in Gurley, Alabama, and they own property. And you'd be surprised how much attention the little old ladies who own property get this time of year. Hey, you need your fence real clean? You want me to help you take that hay up? Hey, anything need to be done in your barn? You know what those guys are doing, don't you? Yeah, they're scamming for deer hunting rights on somebody's property. It's like when I was a freshman at Harding University. I'd go over to the girls' dorm and help them move in. What a nice guy, right? You know, it's, it, it's that whole deal. If, you know, if you were one of those little Texas beauties coming in carrying a shoebox full of feathers, I'll help you, ma'am, you know. But if you look like death eating a biscuit and we're trying to push a safe up the stairs, ah, who needs you, you know, because I had an agenda. I was going to talk to you later in the cafeteria and remember me, you know. Well, we can't love people that way because we want something from them. We've got to be investing in people because God invested in us. And God said, I loved you, you love each other. So it's just, I love you, period. One, two, three. I love you, period. After you get to the I love you, period part, and this really sounds a lot like, let's do what's best for you, but it's just slightly different. It's let me be the first to do something positive. The idea of let me be the first to do something positive is the concept of making peace. And the difference between a peace lover and a peacemaker is that a peacemaker will change his position, will bow his knees, will move whatever it takes to move in order for there to be peace. The peacemaker is the person like Abraham and Lot, where Abraham tells Lot, we've got some contention, your flocks are big, my flocks are overgrown, you pick where you want to go and I'll go the other way. He didn't negotiate, he didn't argue, he didn't try to con him. He said, tell you what, you do what you need to do in this situation and I'll do the opposite. Being a peacemaker is where I put your needs above my rights and I take care of you. That's what God did for us, by the way. So I want to be the first to do something positive. One, two, three. I want to be the first to do something positive. And then the last one this morning, because we are running out of time, is going to simply be God bless the Rolades. Probably should, should put it in an I statement. I will absorb. A Rolades will absorb 46 times its own weight in acid. There are some days when you're not behaving like you should behave. And I just need to be able to deal with it. There, there are some days when I don't behave like I should behave and you should be able to get past that. Your behavior never gives me permission to behave a certain way. I behave the way I behave because of who I am. I don't do what I do to get accolades from you. I don't do what I do to get praise from you. I do what I do because I see myself with a spiritual self-identity. Jesus tells his audience, love those who are your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Why? So that they'll treat you differently? No. The verse says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I respond to your treatment because I have a spiritual self-identity that says I am a God son. And 
I behave the way I behave because of who I am, not because of the way you act. And if you've made a commitment in a marriage, then you behave the way you behave, not based on their behavior, but based on your promise. And so it's, I will absorb. Now, please understand, if you're talking about addiction or you're talking about physical abuse, that goes beyond the normal realm and you've got to help that person deal with their abuse and deal with their addiction or they're going to lose their soul. And love demands that you give them what they need. What they need is intervention, not what they deserve. Now, the intervention can't be punitive, but it does. If you don't do something about a spouse who's dysfunctional, that spouse loses their soul. But when I talk about I will absorb, I'm talking about the daily routine kind of stuff. So please don't think I'm, I'm posturing codependence here. But I will absorb. One, two, three. I will absorb. My junior year in high school, I went down to Faulkner University to visit with my brother, participate in the largest water fight ever took place on campus, and spoke in chapel the next day. Well, prior to speaking in chapel, I attended some preaching classes. And Paul Torrance was running one of those classes. And he said, young men, if you ever preach a sermon, and it's good, it's not original. And if you ever do a sermon and it's original, well, boys, that ain't good. And, and so basically, I've accommodated somebody else's material this morning to share with you and would like to give credit where credit is due. If, if you have your Bible still, Matthew 5. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I was wrong. Blessed are those who mourn. I'm sorry. Blessed are the meek. Let's do what's best for you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's do what's right regardless. Blessed are the merciful. I forgive you. Blessed are the pure in heart. I love you, period. Blessed are the peacemakers. Let me be the first to do something positive. Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of your righteousness. I will absorb. Folks, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said the way to have a good relationship with God and a good relationship with everybody else is to adopt the B attitudes. And Jesus said when you do these things and you have these things and you live these things the result will be you will become salt and light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, folks, my first language is not English. My first is Southern English. So if I start talking about participles and pronouns, I'm speaking way over my head. But listen to these pronouns. Let your light so shine before men that when they see your works... They will glorify your Father who's in heaven. Folks, when our houses have rain and winds and storms and floods, and we love and forgive and can say I'm wrong and say I'm sorry and let's do what's best for you and our houses don't fall, then the people who go to school with our children and the people who meet us in the grocery store and the people who are there when we pump our gas will see a difference in our lives and our families. And because of the way we treat each other, they will know our God. And when they know our God because of the way we treat each other, they will praise our God. And at some point, you folks will have to build a bigger place and maybe have more than two services. Relationships are based on attitudes. The attitudes that we have for relationships are based on what Jesus said it took to get along with God 
and get along with others. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Folks, until your relationship with God is right, no other relationship can become right. If you're here this morning and you don't have a good relationship with God, you're not a Christian or not a faithful Christian, you've never looked at God and said, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, I'll submit to you and live the rest of my life to try to find your will, God will say to you, I love you, I forgive you, I've already done what's necessary to make peace in our lives, and I will endure as long as you sin. If you repent, I'll be faithful. Folks, the Beatitudes are the outline of the gospel. The Beatitudes are the outline of family. The Beatitudes are the outline of just living like people. And if you have a spiritual need this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song. I'm going to ask David to stand down here. If you did come forward, you don't need to come forward to some visiting guy. And if you have a spiritual need this morning, please come forward while we stand, while we sing.